Hello, Skullboat listeners. Welcome back to another installment of World of Wargaming. Today, I am with uh, probably one of my uh, most anticipated interviews I've had since starting World of Wargaming. I've been a huge fan of Wargame Design Studios and John Tiller Studios since probably when I was six or eight years old. That was really my first cutting my teeth into Wargaming. And we are here today with the Chief Operations Officer for Wargame Design Studios, Richard Hamilton. Rich, how are you today? I'm well, William. Uh, thank you very much for having me on today. Uh, so, if you don't, oh, sorry, so if you don't mind uh, just providing some uh, context about who you are, how you got into Wargaming, and how you became involved with Wargame Design Studio. Okay, sure. Um, like yourself, you said you, when uh, you were very young, you, you got into Wargaming. Uh, you know, that's where my interest started as, as well. Um, for me, it was uh, HO scale figurines. You know, miniatures, really, you know, 172 scale. I remember seeing them for the first time, and, and that really sparked my interest. Uh, come from a military family, um, and so I'd always had a lot of influence there. Uh, always spent a lot of time reading about military history and whatnot. Um, you know, from a very young age, I was collecting airfix figurines and uh Gradually, that grew into interest in board gaming, uh, the old Avalon Hill, SPI, uh, SSG, and so on, uh, Tobruk, Squad Leader, uh, Arab-Israeli Wars, some that you might have heard of. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> you know, that, that's all pre-internet days. Um, so the vast majority of people that I knew had no interest in, in that type of thing. Uh, I would be lucky to find somebody that wanted to play a game of chess or, or maybe risk. Um, but that, that was pretty much stretching people from that point. Um, as I got a little older in my, my later teens, I had a friend who would uh, who play Access and Allies with me. Um, but but that's, <laughs> that's about as far as it got. Um, Anyways, so life moved on. I served four years in the Navy, came out in my mid-20s and entered the computer field, started doing computer networking and whatnot. Uh, one day I was in uh, one of the big box stores, I forget which one it was, browsing the, the computer games and uh, came across Battleground Ardennes, um, which is a John Tiller game published through Talonsoft. Uh, picked it up and it was, you know, just definitely caught my attention. Um, kind of a mixture of, of uh, board gaming and miniatures all rolled up into one and obviously interest in the subject matter. Took that home, got really tied into it, uh, looked at the insert and, and there was more games. And, and uh, you know, so I went out and found another one, Battleground Gettysburg. I can tell from the pictures uh, on your video there, you're really into the Civil War. Um, so, and, and so am I. My primary interests are pre-20th century conflicts. Uh, so with Gettysburg and then the other subsequent battleground games, I was, I was completely hooked. Um, John uh, had his own personal website um, and he, he published a scenario editor for the battleground games that you know didn't ship with the games but an editor that would allow you to make adjustments and and whatnot and and that that was just that was awesome so I, I i jumped in there and and started doing my own thing and then he would take submissions so i i started emailing him uh, my scenarios for posting on his website um so anyways we got got going back and forth, exchanging messages and whatnot. Uh, actually ended up meeting him in person 
uh, probably in, uh, I guess it was 1998, um, he showed me a copy of Campaign 1776, which was going to be his new game released through his new publisher, HPS Simulations. Um, so he, he made the jump, left Talents Off, and, and put that game out. Uh, and then and based on, on the relationship that we had established, he, uh, he offered me uh, my own game to create, and that was The War of 1812. Uh, so I, I absolutely jumped on that opportunity. Um, and it was a it was a huge learning experience um, because now I was you know not just reading for pleasure and uh, and 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 my own interest, but now I needed to convey the knowledge that I was gaining through my research, right? And I needed to to uh, compile it, um, condense it down, and parse it from all the stuff that I was reading. Uh, it was really kind of amazing as I I got into it that that there's there just so many. Uh, almost romanticized, very biased uh, accounts of the War of 1812. Um, I don't know if if you or your listeners realize um, how close we came to losing that war. Um, I, I, honestly, I, I really think if it wasn't for the Napoleonic Wars raging on the European continent, that uh, that we would have definitely lost. You know, Britain, if Britain would have been able to focus all their attention on us, it, it would not have gone well. Um, so anyways, did that, got a game published, um, and then uh, John recommended me to Scott Hamilton uh, with HPS uh, to be their customer service rep, because, um, you know, I, here I am, a, an avid John Tiller game gamer, and, and HPS, uh, you know, was his primary channel, and, and more and more games were coming out, so, so I was a natural fit to support the John Tiller products. Uh, I filled that role for the next 20 years, handling all the email and web interaction with customers. Um, in about 2010, John spun off and started self-publishing through John Tiller Software. Um, and, and then probably about 2004, he had begun working with the government. Um, so he had done uh, contract work with the Air Force, um, and then he did some work with the Navy as well. Uh, his his flagship product, if you will, with them was the uh, modern air power, uh, or so also called theater air power visualization, or TAV. Uh, that's actually still in use with the Air Force. Uh, every second lieutenant that goes through the Air College is using uh, modern air power right now. Um, so that that became his top priority. So a lot of the the details of the day-to-day -day business of John Tiller Software, I would handle, you know, running the company as a whole. Um, so at this point, enter WDS. Um, David Freer was it's his brainchild naming that WDS. Uh, he developed his first game with John, Moscow 42, and that was published in about 2011. Uh, in 2016, he began working with another programmer, uh, Robert Berto Osterlund. Uh, you may may be aware of him. He's the programmer uh, that also works with Matrix games uh, behind campaign series Vietnam and and whatnot. So he he works he still works with us as well. Um, so they formed Wargame Design Studio. You know, it, it just sort of a, a 
a global conglomerate, if you will, sort of a name to a, to a group, right? And then they took over uh, management of Panzer campaigns in the Civil War battle series from John. The output of everything that they were doing, though, was still published through John Tiller Software. Uh, David and I began our working relationship then. Obviously, I was running, primarily running JTS, so we were getting to know each other and, and, and uh, establishing the framework that we would are using now, right? Um, so in 2020, John Tiller began talking about retiring and stepping back from the company. We explored options on how to proceed, uh, but before things were finalized, John was diagnosed with a brain tumor and very rapidly declined. Uh, unfortunately, John passed away in April of 2021. Uh, lost a good friend there and, and quite frankly, the best boss I've ever had. He's, uh, he's a really good guy to work with. Um, so at that juncture, David and I formed an official partnership in WDS LLC. We purchased the intellectual, uh, intellectual property rights for the John Tiller catalog and all the source code. And we rebranded John Tiller software in November 19th of 2021 and began an extensive overhaul of the existing game catalog. Um, as we approach our two-year anniversary here in just about two more months, uh, we're pretty happy with the progress that we've been uh, been making. Uh, virtually all of our 108 titles have received some sort of update thus far, most being extensive enhancements in both graphics and engine functionality. You know, and and you know, John had been doing this for 20 some years, but like I mentioned, from 2004 on, his primary focus was government work. Um, so while we were producing commercial games, um, they, they didn't get a lot of love, if you will, you know, and the scenario designers would create it. Um, but as, as the company going into it, there wasn't tons of programming time dumped into it uh, or, or really even a lot of graphics. The, the graphics were very marginal and, and functional. John was a function over form guy uh, when it came to graphics. And I think if, if you look at our offerings that we have on the website now, there's been some radical changes graphically uh, and, and literally pages of, of enhancements to the, to the game and how they function and, and the rule sets and whatnot. Uh, and then just a final note on, on the breakdown of WDS. Uh, we, we essentially have two sides of the house. As I mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, uh, my primary interest is pre-20th century, Civil War battles, Napoleonics, Musket and Pike, and, and further back in history. And David is is the 20th century guy. So World War One, World War II, and whatnot. So Awesome. Well, thank you for the overview. So can you mind breaking down the development process from a game's conception? Like, for instance, you said your first full game you were involved in was War of 1812. So you, you're told, make this game. How do you then go from from start to finish to, to have a completed product? Okay. Um, well, one, we're we're unique and, and have been basically ever since I started working with John Tiller up to today, we still have the same philosophy. We're, we're kind of different than most companies. Uh, we, we don't necessarily look at a topic and say, yeah, we can make lo lots of money on that. Let's do this topic. Um, rather, we take a period of history that, that we're interested in, or maybe a guy approaches us and said, hey, I got a real passion for this topic, uh, and I'd like to make a game on it. So 
So it's, it, you know, it, we cover a whole lot of topics that, that a lot of companies wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Um, for example, we just released the Great Northern War, um, you know, 1700 uh, to 1721. You know, a lot of people don't even know what that is, you know. Um, so we, we, will take, uh, we will take risks, if you will, on other topics. So we, we fit, really, we fit a niche within the wargaming niche. Um, so anyways, from, from a game, so let's just take the War of 1812, for example. John said, hey, I've done this campaign 1776 game. I've got this series, and I'd like War of 1812 to be the next, the next title. And, you know, in that case, I was the scenario designer, or if, if there was one that we wanted to do, I would seek out a person that would, had an interest in that topic and put them on it. Um, really, a game development cycle can span several years. Um, you know, uh, getting books, gathering resources. Uh, I even went uh, up to the, to the state library in Richmond and dug through some of their materials that they had, uh, you know, uh, actual, you know, original books from those periods of time, the early 1800s and whatnot. Um, so to get period materials, um, you just got to really dig in and see what's available and you got to spend time. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier too, there was books I picked up and I literally spent maybe five minutes in it. And I said, well, this ain't happening because it, it was just right out of the gate. You could tell, um, but then you need to, then you have others that are good source material. Um, and uh, one such book was, uh, I believe, it was Elting. Uh, it was Amateurs in Arms, uh, and, and it just talks about how the the very young American army, and it was just it it, it, it contained all the warts too. You know, it's it's not just glossing over and, and making us sound so wonderful. It's you know, it, it covered the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, anyways, you gotta you gotta weed through, get your get your source material. Um, and and build your 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 base of resources and then you got to list out your your battles you know what what is worth considering uh building on what you know what's my 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 famous battles um you know uh, uh there there were there were battles that i included that that were that were really hard to model, you know, the Bladensburg races, if you will, uh, where Americans uh, were sent scampering, and and shortly thereafter, the British ended up in in D.C. and were built uh, burning the capital. Um, you know, so certain instances like that were kind of hard to model, but they were essential to to conveying the message of the war, right? So you uh, you know line up all your different battles, uh, make your OOBs, your orders of battle, you know figuring out you know what, what units are there, uh, values that you will assign to units, what type of weapons they would handle, uh, what leaders are there, what your ratings need to be for leaders, uh, and then I go in and and start making the maps um, for that particular title. John actually did the maps for it, so we'll take a topographical map of the region. We'll do the general layout, and then then you go back through your research, and you'll have descriptions of how the battle unfolded, and and you make sure that all those attributes are are accounted for in your map, right? Because when you're talking several hundred years, the topology is is usually changed, um, so you need to account for those type of things. And then once you start, you know, you got your OBs, got your maps, then you start getting into scenario creation again. 
taking your reference material, you know, here's where the unit started, here's here's how the battle unfolded, and you you know, you do your placements, then we go through a play testing process where you get others involved, you actually play the game and see how it unfolds. Um, sometimes, <clears throat> you know, you need to make adjustments that uh, the the engine say, you know, Sometimes we'd have programming resources available to, to make changes, to make the engine do things we want to do. Sometimes that's a little bit of a bridge too far and, and you have to do other things within the engine to account for those. Um, fixing units or you know, placing objective hexes that will you know, cause the battle to flow certain ways. Um, and then there's also the campaign element um, which on the pre-20th century is, is linked battles. So you'll have a decision tree that you go through and, and you create it and you'll, at each point, you have at least one, if not two or three different choices for each army. And based on those choices, they'll bring you to a battle. So you, they might all lead you to Chippewa, um, but based on the choices the two sides made, they might have you know, different unit placements uh, or different units might arrive at certain times. Um, and then again, based on the, the time uh, of the campaign is covering, losses will carry over if, if they're, uh, you know, if, if it's like a couple days later or a week later, chances are losses will carry over. But if you have a campaign that's like stringing all the historical battles together, but there's months between the battles, that the losses won't carry over because there's been force reorganization. So you you might have an entirely different OOB, right? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, anyways, and then and then publishing, um, you know, just master it and and off on the website and, and away we go. Um, but so so from beginning to end, you know, you're you're talking at least a two year process. Um, from conception to publication, no less than two years. Oh, thank you for that. So for our audience members who maybe have never heard of, of Working Design Studio or, or, John, or John Tiller or the, his format of games, you mind just describing what the gameplay is like and what separates uh, your games from, from other war games? Okay. If I get if I start wandering too much, bring me back into into line. So oh no, please please wander uh, away. No, not all who wander are lost. That's right. Okay, so so we have twelve different series of games. Um, Ten of those series are turn based, um, and two of them are real time. So so uh, you know I'm going to give you. A really high level view because with 12 series of games and 108 different titles, you know, I can't really focus on one. Uh, so, you know, I, I, these are kind of generalized comments. Um, so turn-based games are happens in turns, right? You got side A and side B and it goes back and forth. Um, but there's a variety of different ways that those turns can play out based on the optional rules that are selected. Um, so you can have uh, them fold out in phases, which would be a, a movement phase, defensive fire phase, offensive fire phase, and then uh, melee phase. Um, or 
and then within that, you can use you know manual defensive fire, or you can do automatic defensive fire. Obviously, manual means that that second player is controlling every aspect of that defensive fire. Automatic would be the computer is handling it. Uh, the advantage of allowing the computer to handle your defensive fire is that limits, like if you're playing another person, that means that that whole turn can be done in one setting rather than emailing a, a file back and forth. Um, or you could have it done in turns, which um, would encompass you know, your fire, your move, and your melee all happening within the same. So uh, let's say you have a, a complete front, you could move down the front and, and issue orders, if you will, to, to one brigade at a time, doing everything that you intend to do with them in one turn, right? Um, and you're not, not waiting for other phases. And then there's a hybrid of that um, that has an embedded uh, op optional melee resolution. And, and the benefit of that is, let me back up, a negative of phases, you know, defensive fire, offensive fire, melee, is during the movement phase, you know, there, there's no fire taking place. So a unit could march across an open field and not take any fire. Well, that's not realistic. Okay, so that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, a handicap, if you will, of that style of play where in a turn-based mode, um, you can, there's opportunity fire taking place. So if I march, you know, my battalion across, you know, a, a front that the enemy has uh, visual to, they're going to take shots at me, and I'm going to suffer losses during that time, which could then also end up disrupting that unit, which would slow their movement. And, you know, it, it's going to affect the, the combat. Um, and, and that's certainly my preferred method of play. But a, a, the best compromise between the two systems is the optional melee resolution in that um, if you don't use the optional uh, rule, then you can conduct your, your assaults and then you can exploit those breakthroughs. So you could actually stack up units, do a breakthrough, and then pour units through that. And, and you can really, basically, you're doing a blitzkrieg you know, on a on a 18th century battlefield, which is not accurate. Um, so the optional rule allows you to do your fire and your movement and your fire, and then you advance the turn, and then you conduct your melees. So it, it's it's a it's a nice balance between the two styles of play, uh, and it also has the added benefit of everything can be done in a single sitting, so you only have a single file to transfer back and forth. Um, so that's those. That's primarily the, on the pre twentieth century side of the game. Uh, games, the uh, post twentieth century also has the option of automatic and and manual defensive fire. Um, but at all times, you can if you know there there is no differentiation of the melee phase um, it, when you're playing uh, with automatic defensive fire. You you can just do everything in one turn. Um, so, so scale, okay? So we, we have a variety of scales. Uh, we have squad level games that are 40 meter hexes and five minute turns. Uh, 
And then on a company level games, which are the early American War series, uh, they're 125 foot hexes and five minute turns. Um, then we have grand tactical games, uh, which is our Civil War battles, our Napoleonic battles, and our musket and pike games. 125 yard hexes or 20 minute turns, or on the European games, it's 100 meter hexes and 15 minute turns. Uh, then we have our Panzer Battle series, which is platoon level, 250 meter hexes and 30 minute turns. Then we have operational level games, which is Panzer campaigns, multi modern campaigns, and First World War campaigns, one kilometer hexes and two hour turns. And finally, strategic level games, which are 10 kilometer hexes and two, two day turns. Uh, so quite the span uh, there. Um, and, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, World War II topics, you know, we have squad level, uh, platoon level, operational level, and strategic level. So if World War II is your thing, you know, there's, and there's a variety of levels to choose from. Um, for the real-time games, action begins as soon as you hit the start button. It's a one-to-one -one ratio, one minute of real-time, one minute of game time. Um, you are able to accelerate up to 10 times, uh, so 10 minutes of game times to one minute of real time uh, for like, let's say you're doing search search missions and you're, you're looking for your opponent. Uh, you can run it at a higher speed. Um, the games are also pausable though. So let's say you're playing midway and you want to do uh, your carrier operations uh, where you want to assign some orders to bring some uh, aircraft up from the hangar to get them on the flight deck and you want to assign some missions to them so that at when the when air operations can commence uh, they will start launching aircraft and when they're all airborne they'll head off on a on a search mission or a strike mission so you could pause and you could do those uh, commands and then you can activate the game again and it'll it'll start executing those um, I would like to uh, you know that's that's a whole lot to digest. You're like, okay, yeah, I kind of generally understand what you're saying, Rich, uh, but not really. So if somebody's listening to this and they have an interest in exploring that more, uh, we have free demos for nine series of our games. Uh, so if you go to our website, uh, wargameds.com, um, there's a, uh, and you scroll down to the lower right, there is a thing, uh, an icon that says game demos. And that'll allow you to, um, you know, download their their fully functional games. You know, do everything with the demo that you're going to be able to do uh, with one of our full games. They just have a lot less content. Okay, so um, say the final struggle demo, which is for uh, it's based off Campaign Waterloo. Well, there's there's only six scenarios in it. Um, but it's you can play their battle out. So you, you see how the game works. You have access to the whole rules and everything. So it's a, it's a good way to get your to dip your toe in and see whether that is something that you like. Uh, so again, there's there's nine different series represented up there. Um, okay, so so that's kind of high level of, of just basic gameplay and scales. Um, our games are very detailed. Okay, um, probably more complex than a lot of games that are on the market. There are some that are that are even more complex than us, like War in the East or something like that. Um, 
So, so, but, but we are on more of the complex end of things. Um, a player can do as much or as little as they wish, though. Um, so, for example, uh, you're playing a, a, a Panzer campaign's turn, and you can move the units that you want to move. You can assign an AI order to to move, uh, you know, a formation, you know, closer to the front. Maybe you don't want to go through the process of actually moving them. You just want to assign that order, and then you can conduct fire with the things that you're really, you know, really focused on. And and, and if you don't want to do the whole thing, you can activate the AI, and the AI will handle the rest of your turn. Um, for a micromanager like me, doesn't really excite me. I want to be in control. You know, I, I like to 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 run everything. Um, but for somebody that that may want to play a big battle but doesn't want to get into the nitty gritty of every single unit, then that is an option. Uh, we've also been making uh, a variety of changes uh, since you know we became WDS in uh, making management a little easier. Um, for example, go back to the Napoleonic games. Uh, previously, you'd have to move every single unit one at a time. Uh, now we have a command that, so like, you know, it's linear warfare. So you would have a, a whole brigade lined up shoulder to shoulder, right? So they, they might be uh, five hexes across, let's say. You could even have an entire division. Well, now it's possible to move that entire command with you know a hotkey and a mouse click, and the, all of those units will move at one time, uh, as far as they possibly can, as their movement points will will permit. Uh, um, so we've been making quite a, quite a few changes in that regard as well. Uh, then we have other tools like a range tool to help you determine how many hexes you're away, uh, artillery dialogue, which uh, allows you to fire your artillery pieces, and not only does it tell you which ones are available, uh, but it highlights all the available targets. So when you have one selected, it all the units that they can fire on that there are valid targets are highlighted on the map. So it really streamlines the process. All right, awesome, Rich. I really appreciate all the in-depth detail to that. So being primarily, you know, historical-based uh, gaming, what and we all know history isn't necessarily fair. How do you balance some of, especially some of these scenarios where uh, one side has heavy advantage over the other. Well, there's there's um, the a primary way to do it is to uh, adjust the victory conditions. Okay, um, so well, we'll we'll just take the little bighorn for ex example because that's a demo I did not long ago. Um, obviously, Custer's command was wiped out, um, so. And, and there, there is no possible way to to represent that situation and and come close to anything resembling history, and and you know have the U.S. win because <laughs> because mm -hmm. that they were you know massively outnumbered and 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 whatnot. So, but in that circumstance, um, the victory conditions are sent for for the the last stand scenario that you know. If the natives don't completely wipe the U.S. out and take all of the objectives on the hill, then there's no way they're going to win, right? So that's that's the only way a major victory can happen is for complete wiping out of the other side. Um, so so if 
the U.S. is able to hold on till the end of the scenario, you know, and, and I mean, they might even be able to get a draw if they if they're holding on long enough. Um, so you can control the number of turns and, and you can control the, the victory conditions. Um, you know, a, a lot just depends on on what you're attempting to model. I mean, a scenario can be a snapshot of the, the of the particular situation, and and you're only looking at modeling thirty minutes or an hour, right? And you're really focused on it. So so you have a lot of control in that circumstance. Um, but if you get into a larger circumstance, uh, go back to Waterloo. Um, you know the full the full map campaign scenario. You know I, I use the term campaign because it's the whole series of battles that took place, and they all unfold in one scenario. So it's 388 turns on a map the size of roughly Rhode Island. Okay, um, you know in that circumstance, you know well you don't you don't have a lot of control right um because there there's so much scope that it could play out in so i can't um i don't have a clock you know a a, a six turn or a 12 turn clock to be up against that say if you don't achieve this goal by this time you won't win right you know it's 388 turns that's four and a half days of time um so in those instances um you know, again, you can control the point spread to make it, you know, for the side that was to heavily outnumbered, you know, they, they they might have to achieve a little less of a point value where the guys that had a better numerical value, they might have to achieve more because the things are already weighted in their favor. Uh, you could also fix units um, or varying the, 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 the reinforcement schedule. So maybe those units don't arrive at at the at the current time. So, anyways, again, it, it depends on the cer particular circumstance. Thank you. So, one of my favorite uh, things about the series is that you uh, include uh, non-historical alternate history scenarios. What sort of decision making and resources and uh, research do you need to to go into creating those? Well, I mean that that is my personal favorite uh, way to game is is a, a, the blind meeting scenario. So we might have historical units, uh, the the actual commands that were that were campaigning in that area, but we're not at the at a set piece battle. We we're not dealing with the decisions that others made bringing us to that battlefield. Um, so so absolutely, I, I like that a lot. Um, Again, it depends. You know what? What are what are uh, the choices? Um, I, I mean, it can be something as simple as you know, here's the map, hit and and just place the units, and then you you just stagger them in. You know, how would they work? Uh, you know, again, I'll go back to Napoleonics. Well, the you know the light cavalry would be out in a screen. You know, and they would lead, and then the forces, you know, French forces would move in a corps. You know, so your corps would arrive in a reinforcement schedule, and then you know, maybe a hundred hexes away, another corps would arrive on the map, and then so you just bring those on. Um, you know, what if you know it, to get more detailed, if you will, on a on a on a what, what if scenario? You know, what if Crochet would have actually kept 
the Prussians off Napoleon's flank, right? So that's an easy one. You just intercede the, the French uh, forces in between the Prussians and Napoleon's flank so that he could focus on the allies while, while the Prussians are held off the map. Um, so that, you know, there's, again, there's just a variety of ways. Uh, and that's where um, a large map comes into play. Um, you know, we, we've seen wargaming and, and especially, you know, computer power change over the years to where now we can have much larger maps. Um, you know, for example, you know, Campaign Waterloo's map, that map is larger than all of the uh, battleground games combined that came out from Talonsoft, you know, 20 years earlier. So those, those maps were very small. They were very focused on just the Waterloo battlefield or just Quatre Bras or just Ligny, right? So, and, and, and now we can have much larger maps, which gives us much more flexibility, much more what if. We're not hemmed in to just the historical uh, paths, unless we want to be. Um, one part that just popped into my mind that I, that I didn't answer from your previous question is is what kind of differentiates us from the comp the competition, um, and, and really that that is historical detail. Um, so you know we'll take the Mexican American War, for example. There, there's other games that cover it, uh, you know, Age of Rifles or whatnot, and they might have two or three scenarios in it. And you have generic Americans or and generic Mexicans, you know, whatever. I think Field of Glory has some too. There, there's other games out there that do it, you know. But but there's no no real richness to the units, you know. There's there's not uh, not necessarily you're not playing on the actual historical battlefields. They're not they're not necessarily accurate. Um, where we have, you know, I've got the Marines at the halls of Montezuma, right, being c commanded by Major Twigs, uh, and they're carrying Harper muskets, right? I mean, we, we, we know what they were carrying, where they fought, um, and they're, they're in the Chapultepec uh, scenario and the assault on Mexico City, which is one of those hypotheticals, you know, what, what if the Mexicans wouldn't have surrendered and they would have had to have assaulted the city? Um, so anyways, you know, that that is, probably the biggest differentiation in us um, is that we we get into significant detail uh, in our research and in modeling. Um, you know, you can go in on to our blogs page on our website. So if you go to, again, wargameds.com, there's a news tab, and there is all our blogs, right? And, and some of those are just news announcements or what we've done with updates, but there's a few up there that are talk about the research, uh, and it goes into to the nitty gritty of of you know how how we're looking for information on the units that we're modeling, and and you know we're not just slapping designations on these units and you know Panzer Group one, two, and three, you know we're we're, we're getting to the details of what these units are, and then. And then we consider all those factors when we make those ratings for those units. You know, what, what's the battle history? What's their past performance? That's why those units get those ratings. So, so anyways, that, that, that really is a, an underlying, an underpinning of, of the games that we make. Thank you. So 
one part of aspect of wargaming for professional military education is getting, as we, as you say, your reps and sets and getting practice in on just the uh, like the acts of decision making against an, uh, an opponent. But your your wargame design studio offers a different aspect. How do you recommend it to be used as a as a historical teaching tool? Okay, well, I mean, I I would take that from two different angles. Um, you know, both the, the personal, you know, personal education and then professional. Um, so from a personal standpoint, um, you know, the, we all know, you know, generics about uh, a situation. You know, everybody knows about Gettysburg, right? Uh, and they have a kind of a general idea and obviously they know who won it. Um, you know, but our game our games will allow you, you know, not everybody knows that 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 campaign really kicked off at Brandy Station down in Virginia um, or what happened to the forces after the retreat back into Virginia. Uh, so our games are going to open up doors like that and include, you know, actions that that somebody might not be aware of relating to that campaign. Um, or then we have other titles that that have battles that people might not be uh, know about at all, like Campaign Ozark, uh, Wilson's Creek, Pea Ridge, Prairie Grove, and Lexington. So, so by, uh, by firing up one of our games, it can, it can really lead you in a research path of your own. Um, I, I often tell people our, our games are best accompanied with, you know, your, your favorite book on the topic where you can read about it and then you can fire up a game and you can step through uh, going over the actual battlefield and how that situation unfolded. You know, as you're reading about it, it's like, man, what if they would have done such and such? Well, bam, okay, here's the scenario. And if we don't have that what if already built into this into the game, you can use the scenario editor and make it yourself. Um, so anyway, so there's, there's that personal level. Uh, from a professional standpoint, uh, standpoint, you know, there's also a variety of ways. Um, situations can be modeled uh, replicating real-world situations, which require uh, participants to make decisions and follow through on them to understand the consequences of those decisions. Uh, so um, we can read about what happened in a battle, but war games allow you to try different things, what-if situations like we've talked about, uh, and explore potential outcomes if dis different decisions were made. Um, so, so you can take, you know, uh, we have modern campaigns. You can you can take a, an armor, a modern armored division, and and say, okay, well, you're going to go on the North German plain, and and this is where you need, this is your area of operations, and you can uh, you say, here here's your parameters that you're going to operate with, and then here's the place that you're going to do it, and and you could send the the players to execute those commands. Uh, the best way to do that is is in a blind situation uh, to where you have a, a third party moderator making the scenarios so you have the, the the two sides that know about what their their resources are available to them, but they know nothing about their opponent and they just have a general idea of, of the lay of the land uh, and then a and the uh, moderator makes the, the scenario for them actually starts the first turn so that there's no way for either side to to look at anything and then you launch in there and then you have to, to conduct your reconnaissance and you have to discover things 
Um, so, and then you can play these scenarios out and then you can, and you can debrief on them. You can do an after action report and say, okay, well, here's where you started. Here's the events that took place during this exercise. And here was the final outcome. What did you do right? What could have been done better? Um, you know, what was a catastrophic fail, right? And then, you know, no, but no lives were lost or material expended to make those uh, decisions happen, right? Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, so, currently, uh, well, not actually not currently, because now we have we we are in the process of getting a new comment on the Marine Corps. Uh, but the previous commandant, General Berger, made it clear that logistics is the pacing function of the Marine Corps. How are logistics included within uh, your game series? By and large, logistics are abstracted. Um, now, I I, I fully realize that uh you know if you don't have fuel and and ammo then you don't fight right so um that's that the, and that's just the reality of it um but the games really the games were designed originally to um model specific battles okay um so the forces have already arrived they've they're they're supplied you know now we can we can make it to where you know units are low on ammo from the turn one right so we can replicate supply issues um but but really it's it's designed uh to to where all of that is handled in the background um scenario designers myself and others over the years have pushed the envelope and made those big maps, you know, the, the Waterloo map or, or uh, Yenna um, or, or any number of other ones, just huge maps. Um, so, so that brings it in a little bit further. Um, the pre 20th century games, the, the logistics are limited to uh, small arms ammunition. So, you have supply wagons. They must be within a certain number of hexes of a unit in order to resupply them. And units can go low on ammo, and they can run out of ammo if they're outside of uh, their supply spheres. And there's consequences for doing that. Um, so, uh, but but once a supply wagon gets near them, bam, they get they get rearmed. So you know you're never going to run into a situation where um, you know this. They don't have my type of ammo on the on the truck on the, the wagon. <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be there. So um, in the more modern titles, um, supply is is a little bit more robust. Um, you know, you have units can go low on fuel and and low on ammo. There are there are um, there are supply trucks as well, um, but not everybody wants to to get into managing logistics so we also have virtual supply trucks so where if the oob has been built to support it uh a player can select that optional rule and then all that's handled for them automatically so as long as they don't allow their units to be surrounded they will always be in supply um now just a, a brief comment on the real-time games um you know when you have an aircraft in the in the air, you know it it definitely will go low on fuel and it will run out of ammo. You have a certain amount of missiles, a certain amount of of cannon uh, 
uh, ammo, and and based on you know how fast you're flying is how long your fuel will last. Um, so you know we have mid-air refueling capabilities, and then obviously air bases that they can return to uh, to, to refit. Um, so again, just based on the 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 system and uh, and you know the desire, the goal of that. Uh, as to whether, you know, how detailed that is. Um, we have discussed uh, getting a little bit more granular with that. Um, we'll see where that goes. Um, you know, I, I guess our concern is dumping resources into something, and, and we would make it an optional rule. Um, but, you know, if we dump a bunch of resources in to, to build this infrastructure to, to model logistics much further, um, but then nobody uses it, you know, is, is that a good return on investment? So that's, that's still something that's kind of floating in the, in the periphery. Well, thank you for that. So as we, as we begin to wind down our interview, you know, there's three, uh, levels of war, the operational, strategic, and tactical from working design studio, uh, just from your peripheral preference, which, uh, title from any series would you recommend for each? Well, probably, um, you know, that that we we have both squad level for tactical, and but then we have a grand tactical. So you know, again, it it, it depends on the area of interest. If if um, probably Red Victory, which is the second half of the Eastern Front in World War II for squad battles, uh, that's just received a, a recent update. Uh, and, you know, just a lot of detailed scenarios, really good scenario design in that. Um, but for the grand tactical, you know, that's Civil War battles or Napoleonic battles, you know, probably Campaign Gettysburg or Campaign Antietam for one of those Civil War guys uh, or Waterloo uh, or Leipzig for the Napoleonic guys. Um, for operational, um, if somebody likes maneuver a lot, uh, you know, S Smolensk is a very popular title. Early war, 1941, uh, lots of maneuver there. You know, there's not a lot of static lines. Um, however, if you uh, if you're going to get into you know more balanced sides, um, you know, 1943 on the Eastern Front is is very good. You know, because you you had that that was kind of the the high water mark, right? Where and both sides were still relatively evenly matched at that point. They, the Germans weren't steamrolling the Russians, nor vice versa. Um, so one of our 1943 titles, uh, Ramonstev was was just released. You know, just a few months ago. Um, we got some more of those in the pipeline as well. Um, strategic. We really only have two published titles at the strategic level right now. Uh, First Blitzkrieg, um, which is early war, uh, World War II, uh, or war on the Southern Front. Probably First Blitzkrieg would be the one I'd recommend of the two. Um, but you have a, a mix of um, Eastern Front, you know, Poland and, and France, and, uh, and then a hypothetical sea lions in there as well, so. Well, awesome. Well, thank you very much. So uh, as we get closer to the end, uh, where can our audience find you? Uh, where can we find opponents? Where, 
do you have anything you'd like to plug uh, upcoming and uh, just any anything like that? Okay. Um, again, the, the hub for everything we do is wargameds.com. So, you know, shorting for, for Wargame Design Studios, uh, but wargameds.com. Um, you know, all of the, our products are listed there. That's There's a link at the top for game series, and then everything's broken down by the 12 different series I've mentioned. Um, news is blogs where you can go back and you can read. You know, I think we have close to 100 blog posts up there now. And, you know, we're, we're putting those out quite regularly. Um, support is updates and whatnot. Um, I guess another thing that we stand apart from uh, with most other game companies is once you purchase a game for us, you're going to get free updates for it pretty much indefinitely. Um, and those aren't just, you know, once every six years, you know, hey, here's a little tweak. You know, the, as we make major enhancements to the engine, all of it's rolled back to every title that's in the series. So you don't have to just say, oh, well, that's a new game. What happened to the game that was released, you know, 15 years ago? Well, that's why we can sell games that were released 15 years ago as new because they're updated they have all the same features and and for existing owners they get it for free um, so that's the support tab uh, there's a forum link up there that's you know you can read it you don't have to be registered that's that covers everything anybody in the world can read that uh, also under support is uh, opponent finders, other websites that have video reviews of our games and so on and so forth. Uh, so there's links for those up there too. As far as what's going forward, uh, you know, we're continuing to refine our existing catalog. Um, but now, you know, we, we've done pretty good. We, we've, we've really got uh, most things addressed at this point that we wanted to do. Uh, we're moving more and more towards uh, new topics. Uh, we have some new series in development that, you know, no, nothing's out from these. So we've got completely new things in the pipeline uh, for existing series. Um, you know, this isn't exactly news because we mentioned this one in our second quarter uh, blog post, uh, but Oriel 43 is the next title in the Panzer campaign series. Um, this takes uh, place uh, from the so uh, Soviet offensive in the summer of 1943. So it's the region just north of what Romantsev covered. Uh, so it's focused on Operation Kutuzov which is the Soviet response to Army Group Center's attack at Kursk in July of 43. Um, currently, there's 57 scenarios in there, with the largest being a 417-turn uh, uh, campaign scenario. Um, so this is, again, I mentioned it earlier, it's a pretty balanced time on the Eastern Front, where you still have a pretty strong German force and, and the Russians were rising, right? So, so it's, it's relatively even sides. So it's, it's a good time, uh, it's a good gaming environment. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, our next title in the Musket and Pike series will be the Thirty Years' War. Uh, so we're, 
we're bringing that. It's it's late in testing now. That's 1618 to 1648 and covers all sorts of battles all over the European continent. Uh, currently, we've got 70 scenarios and two campaigns that are going to be part of that. Um, and there's been extensive engine enhancements as well. So like I just mentioned previously, uh, when 30 Years War releases, um, about a month after that, the other games in that series will get a free update. So Renaissance, Seven Years War, and Great Northern War will all get an update, uh, um, and they'll get all the enhancements that were rolled out with 30 Years War, and they'll get that for free. Um, so, so yeah. So and then you know, like I said, we have a plethora of other things in development. Um, I, I mean, just you know. The history of conflict in the world is immense, and at the level that we deal with them, uh, you know, we we have enough uh, enough topics in the pipeline that, you know, we we've got another six or seven years worth of publication in in development currently, so um, so so lots uh lots ahead. Um, and then I would like to mention um, that we have a special deal for your uh, listeners specifically for the Marine Corps Association. Um, again, website, wargameds.com. Uh, if you go, let's say you're up there and you, you want to pick up a game or two, you, you add them to your shopping cart. When you go to the shopping cart to go to check out, there'll be a place on the right-hand side that you can enter a discount code. Use discount code MCA25. All right. So enter that in that field, click the apply button. That's going to take 25% off your entire order, whether that's one game or more, it doesn't matter. Um, and this deal is good through December 14th. So you got a little while to, to redeem that, but um, you know, that is available to, to all of your listeners. All right. Well, Rich, I really appreciate it. Thank you for all, all the information. I look forward to your future titles. And then as uh, I do with every guest I've had on the World of Wargaming segment, my final question to you is, you know, you've had a great day uh, wargaming for work. You've been busy. You come home, you kick off your shoes, you put your slippers on, you pour yourself a glass of bourbon. What war game are you playing in your free time? Napoleonics and it could be any one of 15, but that that's my go-to. I, I just, the, that period of warfare, you know, the, the combined arms and whatnot, I, I could go on and on about that. I, that's my, my sweet spot. So one of the Napoleonic titles. All right. Well, um, if I may, yes. if I may, just one last plug. If anybody's listening and they have questions, they're like, what, what was that? What were you talking about? You could reach out to us at helpdesk at wargameds.com. So that's an email address to just shoot a me message. It's also accessible off our support link. So happy to answer any questions anybody has and help them get going on anything, you know, anything at all, just feel free to ask. Well, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. And then for all our listeners out there, go out and check out Wargame Design Studio, use the discount code, try a bunch of games. Who knows, maybe one day you can find, uh, find one of us on the battlefield and we can play against you. And otherwise, keep wargaming and get your reps and sets in. All right, thanks, everyone. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Truding. But you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC Retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.